Hey everybody, it is September 26, 11, 11 p.m. for Tacit Thoughts After Dark. Um, no, no, it's just a normal episode. We just did it real late at night. So this is episode eight. We have a pretty cool guest, in my opinion, is somebody that I know pretty well. He's written some music for me. And him and Chris Nadeau are kind of the same person, just born from two different parts of the country. Uh, this guest is a musician and entertainer originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he received his original music training from Gary Wilkes, conductor of the Chattanooga Youth Symphony Orchestra. He's had principal and co-principal positions in youth and semi-pro orchestras as both a viola player and a percussionist, multifaceted. His primary endeavors uh, are as a composer, which is his main gig, uh, he's a composer of a variety of different musical styles, including classical, contemporary classical, film and media, and electronic music. His first project in the field of collaborative media was a production hosted by the BBC Philharmonic, big stuff, of D. Sherlock's Come Into the Garden, a set of poems that were read as a dramatic staging with solo cellists. He received his master's at Royal, is it Royal Northern College of Music? That's it. And as well as a master's here with me at JMU, uh, James Madison University in Virginia. Uh, he finished his master's while I was finishing my doctorate, or I'm finishing my doctorate, where he had a GA position as well in music theory. And he is a composer. And he got his undergrad at Tennessee Tech and music comp and percussion performance. So please welcome the one and only Lucas the Machine Garner. I just added the machine part for fun. Just Lucas Garner. You made me sound plenty important. So I, yeah, thank you for inflating my resume as much as you could. No, it's good. I just read it straight from straight from the thing and just added. Oh God, did you? Yeah. All right. So it's real. I've noticed it's really weird when other people read your bio because it feels yeah. so it feels so weird, <laughs> especially if you haven't touched it in a little while, like me, since I've just recently been catching up on some things I missed. I'm kind of I was kind of on break for a few months, so yeah. I always feel weird about submitting my bios on pieces or websites at this age, because it's like, okay, it's currently blank. And it's just like, well, I'm currently blank, but I have a feeling in a year and a half, I might not be currently doing this thing. I feel the same way. I, I, I notice uh, when people ask me for like a resume or qualifications to take some kind of opportunity, I always get super nervous about that. But then if somebody asks me like some super important question about like, hey, you know, I got a question today that was like almost literally like, hey, uh, you know. Just wanted to reconnect with you and ask you about uh, what you think about studying composition as a major. And that's like a much more important life-altering thing of somebody else. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I can answer that. But if I'm submitting my own resume, I'm like, no, I can't do that. I, I haven't done anything yet. I don't know where I'll be in a year. It's different. Oh, for sure. Chris is just like, I mean, I play some video games and I like to play the drums and stuff. <laughs> I got a couple degrees in playing the drums. Something like sure, that. Sure, yeah. I've read it. Yeah, I mean, which, which one of us has won an international competition? See, you keep Just falling. Let's, all right, yeah, yeah. What'd you win? Uh, my duo won, like, the uh, Southern California International Rainbow Competition oh, like nice. a nice. thousand years ago. Yeah. 
It was what? <laughs> 20, Currently a thousand. All right. 20, 2014, something like that. No, it's 2012, right? God, yeah, when we were babies. Yeah, that was when Marco won as well, the solo, right? He was the solo winner? No, he won when we came back as the artists. It was, was uh, 2013, I think, right? James That's James it. Botan won the solo round when we were there. Yeah. Man, I'm telling you, we need to get us three, Chris, Lucas, and I, Marco, and we need to find like one or two others and do like an all video games podcast episode. That'd be good. Bunch of giant nerds. I've, I've been studying for months now. I, I'd be really qualified to, to give my opinion. <laughs> so, so let's get the important stuff out of the way first. All right. So, right. video games. What? So yes. right now, uh, I'm sure we all don't have a lot of time all the time. But when we do, it's so good. Uh, my current game of choice, when I have the time, is Titanfall Two. If anyone's playing on PlayStation, you can add me. Just, <laughs> just shoot me, shoot the Tassus yeah. thought Facebook and Messenger. Be like, hey Caleb, what's your what's your uh, PSN gamer tag? And I'll give it to you. We can play Titanfall together. Like I was telling these guys, I'm surprisingly good at Titanfall too. It's a first-person shooter, but you do a lot of like three-dimensional uh, moving around. And this man, helps. yeah, the grappling. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm but the thing is, is I'm not really practiced. I haven't put much time into it. But there's two teams of I think six or seven. But I'm beating out like I'll be the top out of both teams by like fifty, sixty points. Like I'm considerably higher than everyone else. So I'm thinking I might just quit all this music, <laughs> quit this, <laughs> yeah, drop out this DMA, quit all this music bullshit, and go play Titanfall two for a living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Chris is playing. Right, Chris. You're playing Destiny, aren't you? Destiny Two. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot. I just got into it. There's a, another friend of mine up here that got me into it, and it's it's been fun. Um, I'm generally pretty bad at things. I mostly run straight at the bullets, uh, so I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, <laughs> I've played Destiny with Chris, and I feel like man, I feel like Destiny is one of those games for like to get good. You have to sink time into it, and one of uh, well, to, be, to be able to do stuff, you have to sink time into that one. That's yeah. one of the things that's put me off about mm -hmm. it personally. But yeah, I like games that I can pick up and like have a good time. Like Titanfall, even if you're not good at it, you can pick it up and have a good time. Like you get to do every, you get to do like everything in one match. Like you don't have to be a pro level. Like, everybody's kind of bad. So when I say, like, I'm doing well, like, everybody's doing bad, but I'm probably just, like, the best of the worst. So it's not really <laughs> saying much. Man. What do you, what are you playing, Lucas? All right. So I, I actually came prepared with a little thing that I could talk about. Oh, yeah. That, that might be more uh, productive than you expect. Uh, <laughs> when I got out of school... I uh, went and visited an, uh, an old teacher of mine, and we watched this uh, thing that he found on Simon Rattle, like a documentary that had been produced a while ago. And, you know, I don't remember why we got into that or anything. Um, but there's one point where he actually mentions that documentary. He finished his music schooling. He did this year where he did literally anything else that he could besides music. Like, he intentionally took as much time to avoid music as possible just to 
learn to appreciate it in the same way he did when he was young again. And he still credits like him taking that year as like a really important part of his life. I was really limited when I got into school. I uh, I got married, as these guys both know now, and then immediately was to kind of just put on hold. I'm sitting here with all of my stuff packed away in boxes in my parents' basement right now, uh, about to move next week to finally live married life because my wife was in Navy boot camp. So I thought, okay, what's something that I can explore uh, and have a little bit of fun with to get away from music for a little bit and try to figure out what's going on. And I started getting into fighting games. And the reason I did is because I was already playing a few of them in my spare time at the end of grad school. And I had this friend that I knew from high school that I reconnected with when I got here. And he was like really, really good at them. And the scene here was just starting to take off in Chattanooga. So when I started back in May... There were maybe like 20 people coming to these events, and now it's grown to like a, a, a social media group of like 150 or 200 people that are driving in from Knoxville and Atlanta and all these surrounding areas to like compete for money. Um, I, I decided since it was a really difficult thing to do, I would I would kind of see how far I could get with it. So I got into Tekken 7 and Dragon Ball Fighters for a while and just wanted to see how good I could get at either of them. The answer is not very good, but I did better than I expected. So I, I never, I only one time ever did I place last in something. Wow. So, That's good. Yeah. Have y'all seen um, the PlayStation Classic announcement? I did. Tekken 3 on there, man. Yeah. So for anyone that hasn't seen, and that's a fan uh uh, we're all, Lucas, Chris, and I are kind of all in the same five-year age gap. But if you had a PlayStation 1, they're releasing for 100 bucks. I think it's coming out in December. Might you be get, a little pricey, but... Yeah, it's a little, pri- it's a little pricey, 100 bucks. Um, but it's a PlayStation Classic, so it's basically, it looks like the PlayStation 1, but it's just a digital console. So you can't add games to it, and it can't, it doesn't have a disc reader from what I'm aware of. So it just comes with a preloaded 15 games. So basically you get 15 old school PlayStation games for 100 bucks. It depends what's on it. I know Final Fantasy VII's on it, but that's also... They have the, the uh, not the remaster, but the uh, copy over to PS4 you can get. So there's that one. There's Ridge Racer, which is cool. Tekken, man, dude, Tekken 3 is like... I was all about Tekken. Eddie Guaro was my best character, the Capoeira. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's everybody's best. Man, I'll tell you what, though. Um, I heard rumors that there's Final Fantasy VIII on it. If there's fi- So for me to buy it, there needs to have uh, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, and everyone listening to is probably like, Oh, for Caleb, bro, you playing them Final <laughs> Fantasy games. Oh, yeah. You're just sitting at home playing Final Fantasy? Hey, I like them. Give me a break. I like them. I would be happy if the Resident Evil games were on there. I I remember they have to put one and two. They have to. They have to. I remember being a little kid and being told I couldn't play that game and still playing it and being like, you know, it's funny now looking at how bad they look and how horrible they were. But like, I remember being like elementary school, like staying up with like one of my best friends at like midnight, all the lights off playing those games and being scared shitless over absolutely nothing. They're great. uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah they're, they're really fantastic even though they look bad they're still creepy 
That's yeah. one of the things I think is so impressive. It's like, okay, you know, these are amalgamations of blocks that are kind of looking like humans walking in like this really robotic way. And somehow the zombies that look the same way are scary and they're still yeah. zombies. Did y'all play a uh, legend of, if they have legend of dragoon on it, I'll buy it in a heartbeat. I'll buy it. For I wasn't solely that. much of a PlayStation one kid actually. Oh man. Let's cut this podcast off now. <laughs> All right. It was good talking to you guys. Uh, yeah. I'll see you later. How's this? How's the outro music go? Beep, boop, dee, ba, ba. Um, something like that. Anyways, Legend of Dragoon is like way cool. Because it's, it's basically it's an RPG. But every time you attack, you can do um, like combos that are like button, like timed presses. Like you see a square closing on another square and you have to press X at the right time. Yeah. Or square at the right time to do the different movesets. So there's like, I like that because it's like the stock Final Fantasy RPG. But you get to... There's like some skill involved in like actual being able to hit it when it goes. It's pretty cool. I never played it. It's cool. I might have to try it. That, I've, never, I've never even heard of it, honestly. Dude, <laughs> it was so good. There's so many people that want it to be remastered, but I mean, they never will. But it's, I mean, I had it on PlayStation 3. They they ported it to PS3, but um, man, I'd love to now, play it again. Now people can play it. Yeah. But nobody has a PS3 anymore. PS3's like the PS1 now. It's outdated. Jordan had one. My wife had one, but it literally doesn't even turn on anymore for whatever reason. So I don't, I don't have the ability to play it. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you mentioned Tekken 3. One thing I found from doing all this stuff uh, running around in this area is that the people that have been playing Tekken specifically have been playing it for, like, a decade since that game. And they'll play the same characters they played back then because unlike most games uh, where they'll change how characters are and how mechanics work and stuff like that, that game has had the same characters and basic mechanics since 3. Like, 3 was when they started the current iteration. So people that have played, like, some of the characters that were in three back when all of us were still very, very young, they like maintained and refined those skills. So when I get introduced to this, I was kind of like going through like music major uh, anxiety all over again. I was like, why am I even doing this? I'm never going to be as good as these people, you know, and, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. It was, it was kind of interesting rediscovering performance anxiety from another angle going to these things but ultimately you know you have to let go of that and just have a little fun yeah i was like it's valuable yeah i feel like trying to be the best at video games is just like you're gonna have a bad time like there's yeah, always gonna be someone time, yeah that, that, i don't know I, I like playing with the people online that want to be the best and get mad that nobody else is yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm never going to be the get best i'm never even gonna be remotely good uh, unless it's Mario Kart, I'm, that's that was my jam. But I, I do enjoy playing games badly, just to see how angry other people get about it. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to if you if anyone hasn't watched Marco Shrippa's podcast, Good Games Played Poorly. Uh, man, it's actually it's like a really fun time. Uh, they're on. I think they're on Twitch. Uh, they stream on Twitch, but good games played poorly. It's probably the, like the it. couple of times I've watched it. It's been some of the funniest, most entertaining things I've seen. Um, and again, it's literally it's just good games played poorly. But they're actually not. They're not bad. But um, man, so 
Total, total tangent. It just, I don't know what jogged my memory of this, but I forgot to th- say this in um, the last episode with James. But a uh, big shout out to the people that did our giveaway. Uh, I totally forgot to mention y'all. Um, he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. It's a bunch of fake news anyways. Uh, so the people that won, uh, Rodney Rody Jr. on Instagram, Zach Peterson on Facebook, and then our second level of winners, Lauren Malloy on Instagram and Caleb Leonard on Facebook. Uh, thanks for entering. They won. We'll probably do another giveaway, a drawing. We have some talks of other products from other people that are not us in the works. So hopefully. Things that are actually enjoyable to own besides Caleb's shitty music. It's not good to own. It actually makes your credit score go down 20 points. So if you are (laughs) Rodney, Zach, Caleb, and Lauren, if you're listening, uh, your credit score is worse. You're probably not going to be able to buy a home. I was wondering wondering why you picked another guy named Caleb to give out a piece by Caleb to, and then I realized it was just an exercise in self-loathing, lowering the credit score of somebody with your name. Probably something like that. So it's... uh, yeah, we use, I used uh, random.org, so you can go there and you can basically you select 1 through 12 or whatever, and gotcha. then you click random, and it just pulls up a random number. I just assigned everybody a number, so... Um, it's a good way to do it. Yeah, it really is. Uh, one company gave a, did a giveaway recently. It ended on September 10th, but they haven't announced a winner yet. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious as to like oh man I feel like so many people entered you should make sure you released it. Say that again. You kind of cut out. I was saying I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you definitely do. Well, cool. Um, so we had a question actually from Facebook. Let's make sure I pulled up the right one. Uh, Jade Hales, who his uh, uh, their names come up. Many times now, they enter the contest and ask some other questions. But they actually asked about, uh, they were super curious about your film and media work, what sort of programs and methods are useful for that line of work, and how do you find yourself into that field. That's pretty good. I forgot to like it. I'll like it now. It's kind of late. but I'll, I'll go like it when I can, too. I, I saw it a little bit earlier, and when I first saw that, I thought, well, I don't have a whole lot of experience in that, so mm-hmm. I don't know how good of a person I am to ask about it. But then I, I thought about it for a while and I'm like, well, actually I've got a pretty good amount of experience helping people with this stuff because I've done, even though I've only done, if you look me up on IMDB, I think I've got like two credits or something. It's, it's not a whole lot, but I've definitely on many, many occasions been a consultant for hiring people for, uh, small scale soundtrack work and stuff like that. So I know what they look for. Uh, I know what kind of stuff you have to do to get into that field. Um, so I guess the first thing I'll mention is that uh, that is not something music school will ne- necessarily prepare you for uh, to do film and media work unless you go to a program that specifically focuses on film scoring or uh, composition, music technology, something like that. Uh, I actually just emailed my friend Casey Edwards, uh, and this guy uh, wrote this song that's getting really popular right now for Devil May Cry 5, actually. It's the song called Devil Trigger. 
Uh, and he, uh, and I were just emailing back and forth about it for a second. Cause I was like, Hey dude, it's, you know, it's awesome that you wrote that. Uh, good job. You know, hope you're doing well we, because we're both from Chattanooga. And the first thing he said back to me was like, yeah, man, it was a fun project. Uh, yeah. UTC really didn't prepare me for this one. <laughs> that was like the, one of the first things he said back. And I thought, Oh man. Um, there's a lot of people that are having thoughts like that. Ultimately, he got that gig because he knew the right people to send tapes into. And I think that that's the biggest misconception about how people think that they can get to a point where they can write for movies or games or something like that, is they think that if they go to school for composition, eventually they'll just be good enough to get that kind of opportunity. And the reality is that it has a lot less to do with how good you are at it and a lot more to do with how visible you are in terms of like an internet sphere and also how close you live to a place where people get hired to do that kind of stuff. And the only two places I know of that have new opportunities opening up for that all the time are Nashville, which, and that's a more under the radar kind of place. And then obviously Los Angeles. Yeah, a little right. bit in London, but there's a lot less of it now compared to what there used to be. There's not as many open opportunities because they're just taking people from the schools around there and shuffling around the less important work, so to speak. Yeah. So I looked up your IMDb. And yeah. are you ready for your star meter? Let me tell you what your star. I don't know what a star meter is, but I'm this not is what ready it is. For my star meter. So this week you have moved up. 4,497,399 spots. <laughs> I think you're pretty, you're doing pretty damn well. If I mean, if you ask me, I don't know what that means. I, honestly, I don't know. I don't either, but just put it on the CV. Yeah. Just be, <laughs> between the month of, of August, 2018 and September, 20, 2018 has risen Four and a half million spots on IMDb star rating. <laughs> yeah, the the anxious, depressed part of me just took that as a reason to keep going for a few more days. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad I could benefit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Speaking of anxiety, and we just talked about video games. Yeah, uh, this is just totally just jumps into my mind. But I've I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. I am too. Uh, the Elon Musk one was was quite good, yeah. Man. It's amazing. Everybody that's listening to this should go listen to that. Yeah, if if you're not listening to Joe Rogan, um, definitely, I would definitely do. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to start a podcast is I like listening to podcasts when I practice because it just gives me like something in the background that it's just conversation and I absorb the general info, but it's not so deep that. Uh, that I have to focus so, so, so hard on it. But I listened to Joe Rogan's episode with Amber Lyon, who is an Emmy award-winning former CNN investigative news correspondent. Mm -hmm. And she left basically because she was seeing that, I'm not going to say CNN is bad. I'm not going to take a firm stance on it because I just don't have enough info. But she left because, I think mainly because CNN was doing stuff that she thought was untrustworthy. Uh, not like Fox News doesn't do that, as we all know. Um, but, yeah, things were happening that she wasn't on board with, so she left, uh, heading severe anxiety. Uh, and mainly the episode is about uh, use of non-addictive substances like MDMA, 
ayahuasca, uh, ibogaine, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. So it's basically psychedelic drugs to yeah. counteract uh, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, depression, trauma. But they talked about, for just a little bit, they talked about video games um, as kind of this, like they used to, or I guess they still do, like using literature, like a book is a great way to help, a very small but good way to help fight depression because it gives you just a momentary other focus and it kind of like centers it's kind of almost like meditation like you're only thinking about the story you can't it's hard to read like i'll just say harry potter it's hard to read harry potter and also think about like the stress that's happening to you at the same time and they found the same thing in video games uh where because especially games that are story driven or uh reaction driven like titanfall is a competitive game, so you have to be engaged to basically have a good time. They found that that helped um, treat anxiety a little bit with uh, just being... Temp- I mean, even if you play like a, two matches and each match is 10 minutes, you have 20 minutes of you're just disengaged from your stress and you're now like just focusing on this one thing, regardless what it is, video games, books, um, etc., just something to like get your head out of out of life for a second. Uh, I can t- tell you one thing I did along those lines. Um, so when I got out of school, and I think this is actually common for composition students, I I, I I said I was taking a break, but I was still doing some stuff. And one of the things I was doing was for Caleb. Actually, he's got a vibraphone solo that I wrote him, <laughs> and I had a lot of anxiety about this piece uh, because it was the first one that I didn't have to show to a teacher, and I didn't realize that was going to have such an impact on what I was doing with it. And I thought for a long time about things that I did that kind of stabilized my routine. And I realized that for most of grad school, I was using games as a way to cope with like the anxiety and stuff like that. But I also realized that during my most productive period at JMU, one of the things I was actually doing is I was trying to think about what I was writing all the time. And I was actually using games with the sound off more specifically as a way to occupy the part of my mind that might be wandering in certain ways. And that actually like doubled my output when I started doing stuff that way. And of course I, ha- I still have to have my time to like sit down and focus on like the minute details and the notation and uh, the stru- the overall structure, like really pick at what I'm doing. But everyone that does any kind of creative activity can only have, like, the I need to critique myself really, really hard attitude for so long per day. So you have to find some way to break that up. I know that, like, there's people at uh, JMU in the percussion department that would, like, watch South Park while they, like, padded on, you know, like, their, their rudiments and stuff like that. And I think that's great. I think that's a great way to do it, to, like, take care of the menial, more athletic part of music in a way that's going to make you a little bit less stress and enjoy yourself a little bit more. But when it's time to really critique what you're doing, you know, put the creative aspect into what we do, that stuff can be really draining, but it kind of needs to be that way. Yeah. So, uh, people that study neuro-linguistic programming, dude, I sound so mother effing smart right now. When you say neuro-linguistic programming, it just makes everybody's like, Oh, 
Was it yeah. ruined it? Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. I, know. I just have to yeah, I have to dumb it down a little. It bit. sounds so mother effing smart right now. Me, I'm Chris, and I like to play Destiny, but I'm not good. <laughs> Anyways, so people, <laughs> but yeah, people that uh, read about, and you hear the word neurolinguistic programming, and it seems like this high sciencey thing because it's such flowery language, but um, the concepts and what it is is so. Like, everything in it is such in layman's terms, and it's so simple, and it just boils down to such easy-to-grasp concepts that every artist should research it some. But people that study neurolinguistic programming, they talk about um, occupying, specifically um, performing in the zone. Um, what's his name? He wrote the book Performing in the Zone. I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, John Gore. Uh, John Gorey? Yeah, John Gorey. He's a New Zealand uh, trumpeter and author. But he talks about the self one and self two. So your self two is who you are right now. It's like your normal day-to-day persona. And your self one is that voice inside your head uh, that kind of gets in the way. So a lot of us, I seem to have it the most. I don't have it as much anymore. I seem to have it the or have had it the most when playing solo rep on stage, and you get that thing where it's just like, "Oh my God, I can't! Am I really playing a marimba solo? Do I know where these notes are? Like, am I really like, like what? What's happening right now? Like, is this? It's like this like what if character that kind of gets in the way, or for some people, it's this it's this voice that says like, "Okay, like." All right, you're getting stressed. You're okay. You're starting to get tense, and then when you start thinking about getting tense, it's like okay, you're getting more anxious, and like you're getting more excited. Okay, like you're not gonna be able to pull off this run that's coming up. So neurolinguistic programming is uh, creating methods that cope to basically occupy this self one idea, which is a lot of what the idea of playing video games like with the sound off would be, like you're giving your your uh, overactive consciousness something to focus on while your subconscious is able to come through and uh, kind of prosper a little bit. It's really interesting. And I think, I mean, I've I've talked about on at percussions, uh, I think twice now, that's one of those things where, yeah, um, my master's degree teacher, Dean Gronemeyer, who toured a lot in the nineties on as a solo marimbist, uh, he would be backstage basically arguing, like you would apparently see him arguing with himself, like actually like, like tell him like, oh, dude, just like fighting with himself out loud. Wow. But he was like fighting with his like, his self one versus self two idea. And for That's him, crazy. he had to be like aggressive with it. He'd be like, you know, like you need to go and do this. Like you just got to psych yourself up. And some people have to do that, but it's really interesting. And I feel like, for me, I can make better, I learn music quicker when I listen to podcasts or sometimes I'll put on, uh, when I'm doing schoolwork, I'll put on the office in the background because it doesn't have, it's just kind of a drone. Like I think I've watched, the, like if you look at my Netflix view history, I don't know if that exists. It probably says like an amount that you should probably call a specialist for me. Um, but um, but most of the time I'm not actually watching it. It's just in the background. It's just a drone to sure. occupy like my my background thoughts. But I feel like if more people practiced 
either listening to something while they practice or um, yeah, or just finding methods to cope with the anxiety, like something to occupy your anxiety, you would be able to be a just a better performer overall. I, I, I find that it would be hard to, that's a hard thing to recommend to like younger students and stuff like that. Maybe even hard to recommend to like undergraduate level people the same idea because i think the reason it might work for you or me is because we already have a really good idea of what we need to be doing and what it takes to practice really high level repertoire and stuff like that right. and the focus that's required but if you haven't attempted something like that before and you're trying to like learn the athletic aspect of it in isolation while you watch south park it's probably not going to be quite as effective as if you've tried to do it without it before it's it's a complicated thing uh, but i definitely uh i guess in, in general I, I could say that i definitely advocate non-traditional practice methods because uh the, bi the biggest issues with the current way we do music schooling right now in my opinion lie in the realm of mental health so right. anything we can do to improve that is a gigantic step forward as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. We have just a, one way. We have a guest in, uh, I guess, two weeks. Uh, yeah, I think two weeks out that we booked for our 10th, 10th or 11th episode that's a, a music therapist, but we'll talk a great deal about mental health and Good. music. So, yeah, we'll, we'll post a thing about people that have questions, so... I hope that a uh, bunch of depart department chairs actually listen to that and don't blow it off. <laughs> yeah, the the department chair here at um, at JMU, Jeff Bush, uh, he's man, he's he's great. He um, he definitely is very helpful. Yes, I agree with that. Um. Yeah, so speaking of this idea of uh, mental health, Lucas sent me this, and it just got posted, let's see, it says four hours ago as of now, um, but Travis Cross at the uh, UCLA uh, Herb Albert School of Music, he posted, it says, at this year's Department Welcome, I shared a Schoenberg dozen unspoken rules for success this year and beyond. It's sort of my own version of the famous shadow syllabus. And while it's a little preachy, I believe every word here is it here it is for anyone who who is interested. So I figured we maybe we could just go through a couple of them and see what uh, you guys think. Lucas has read them. Um, we're just kind of springing this on Chris, but it's kind of not. I feel like it's nice to have like the gut instinct answers because I feel like sometimes they're the most like yeah. they're like the most true and like uh, real. So the first one I wish, says, I, I wish I had waited to read it until I was on the call with you guys, actually. I've already thought about these a lot, but maybe I'll, like, word my responses better. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, but before we... Well, actually, I'll, I'll wait to, for Chris to hear what they are before I say anything sure. about what I think. So for anyone that doesn't know, Travis Cross is professor of music at UCLA. That's Los Angeles. He's the conductor of the Wind Ensemble there, directs the graduate wind conducting program, and is chair of the music department. So he's done, uh, he does a great deal there. He actually got his, uh, well, sorry, he was a uh, wind ensemble conductor at Virginia Tech near where Lucas and I went to school in Blacksburg, Virginia for um, uh, five years, but now he's in uh, Los Angeles. 
But question, uh, rule number one, he says, your teachers know when you're unprepared for a lesson, blowing off a rehearsal, or didn't do the homework. Save, save us the drama, be honest. Don't try to fool us. Uh, just off the bat, I actually told this to my percussion methods class this week. Because we had a little, like, it wasn't for a grade. It was just like, all right, practice this. Let's be able to play it next class. Everybody played it. And I just like, all right, everybody. Like, it takes me about two seconds to be able to tell if you have or haven't practiced. Like, it's it's very obvious, very quick. And um, oh, yeah. we've all had professors that say that, too. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, Zader could call you out in, like, two seconds. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then... Yeah. Dr. Hollebeck here at CSU, like he, I, mean, I, I think he had like a sixth sense for it. Like people would just walk into a lesson and you could just see it. And uh, he'd even joke every now Pretty and good. then. He'd be, like, he'd be like, yeah, yeah these guys, this, they're not practicing. I know they're not. I haven't seen them, haven't heard them. They're not practicing. Yeah. But uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, like, but I think that is, I, that there's like that kind of immaturity that we grow out of at some point because we've all been that young student that like, didn't do the work and is going to try to stumble through it because we would rather like we would rather fight through it than just accept the fault like yeah. uh, i think even just yesterday um here with one of the schools i was working with i was judging some uh, playing tests for uh grades and band auditions and uh it, <laughs> it, it it's a different beast up here man and like uh there's 16 percussionists and i would say two of them seriously prepared the other 14 kept telling us that they had no idea that this test existed, even though this is a school that gives all of the students, like, iPads. They use all this, like, social link to, like, networking stuff for, like, music, email communication, their Twitter, like, the Remind 101. Like, I mean, this is stuff I knew the test was happening, like, two months ago when I was still, like, on tour. <laughs> so, you know, but, like, uh, we have this one kid, and bless him, he tries. He comes in, he's like, yeah, I didn't get a lot of practice time in, but I, I, I really tried hard. I think I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how I do. He comes in there, uh, starts with the mallet one, and it was, I can't, I can't name a scale style to what he played. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, there was a whole lot of A flat. He would kind of play some random notes. He would start at A flat. He's right inventing up. a hybrid mode for and you. And then he'd just kind of run down, but he would start and end every little micro phrase that he was just trying to improvise on a flat. And I listened to it for a full minute. And, uh, and, and I'm not trying to make fun of this kid, but I am trying to make fun of this kid. It's not mean. It's just really funny. Like, he just completely just, like, just, like, shits out some random thing. Yeah. With a whole bunch of descending lines, and granted, there is not a single descending line on the page. It was actually a really easy Mozart thing in C, <laughs> and he was just all over the place. And my favorite part was at the end. He goes, "Well, at least I got the rhythms right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it was all eighth notes and quarter notes, and he's like, every given the tempo that he was trying to imply, it was like sixteenths and fivelets and. <laughs> Good. But I mean, like, yeah. But he 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 did everything he could to try to convince me that he had put some time in on that. And I, I, I for the first time in my life as a teacher, I was just like, I, I just I humored him, and I was like, well, let's put a little bit more in next time. But man, like, <laughs> generally, 
generally I just want to like rip those kids apart and be like, I'm not stupid. Come on. I've been in your position and I know what this is. Just tell me you didn't take the, you didn't put the time in and I'll give you the grade you deserve and we'll move on and we'll both be happier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, we've, it's always we've been there. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that anybody that's like taught that level of student can kind of empathize with what Chris is saying. And it's always uh, like cathartic for people that have been through that to discuss it with each other and kind of share that struggle. I, I, I think the issue that I take with the way Travis said this is that he the way he said it almost makes it seem like it's more of an annoyance for the teacher than it is like a mental battle for the student. And I'm not, I'm not trying to harp too hard on the way he said this one in particular, because I really agree with the core of it. But I, I feel like it would be better to just say, like, if you're going to make a mistake, own it, because that's like one of the biggest parts of learning to be a musician to begin with, because it's super hard. And if yeah. you don't do things wrong, you're never going to do things right. We hear that all the time. Uh, the issue that I have with the entire mentality of that first point that he made is that there's a hefty majority of situations I would say of uh, us going into lessons that we aren't prepared for and there's not a single person that's gone to music school that has been prepared for every single lesson they've ever taken privately I'm sorry it's it's not it's not a realistic thing anybody that expects that to be a thing is either lying or crazy it's 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 no way I don't believe you yeah and so so keep so keeping that in mind uh there is absolutely no reason for the teachers, and there's got to be hundreds of these teachers that exist, to berate the kid that, like, does a generally pretty okay job. Maybe not the best job, but does a, a pretty okay job. Like, the middle of most studios comes in for an unprepared lesson. There's no reason to, like, chew that kid out. No. And we, so often we do, and it all it does is demotivate the people that are on the fringe, of wanting to do this or not, rather than encourage them to make them feel like they can do this. That's kind of how my, my general issue with the entire thing that we're about to come up on is like all of these ideas are really good. And especially for people that are just entering college, it's all stuff that's very helpful to hear. But if you're on the fringe and you've already been there for a little bit and you're listening to some of the stuff that he's saying here, you're like wondering what kind of profession you're really about to enter. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, I, I think there's another good quick point to make in there is talking about like the uh, the atmosphere you're creating in this situation, too. It's like where I, I think back to the student again, this student frustrates me on a daily basis, like uh, like that he's there. He loves the community. He loves band. He has not figured out that work ethic has to like be even part of that equation yet. And uh, for me, like I, I know I struggle Personally, I, I, I can very I can be a very negative person if I'm not careful, uh, both inward and outward. And that like, but uh, <laughs> as a teacher, like like in those situations where like he's sitting there and like I'm, I remember in that moment I was laughing at it, but I was also really incredibly frustrated, and really just angry that he would just walk in and just be this way. He's like, yeah, I put like he was so confident that he put in time and that I was going to be impressed with him improvising some atonal thing over Mozart. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But like and like there is the, like there was that second in me that just wanted to cut him off and just tell him to leave and stop wasting my time. But this is a small program uh, that I'm working with on the side, and they don't have a lot of percussionists. It's a growing program. It's like a two A in Colorado, which is it's tiny. Mm -hmm. It's it's a tiny thing, and like uh, and like 
they're they're still figuring a lot of things out as a program, as students, as teachers. Like there, there's there's a lot to go on there. And the one thing that I I have to remind myself that I can't really do is create a negative atmosphere at this moment to where this student who already enjoys it but hasn't figured out how to enjoy the work yet, I can make him really not enjoy the whole process at all if I really get too negative. That being said, I have to find some constructive way to really talk about how to get the work ethic in there. But, uh, you know, in that moment where my my uh, my uh, my negative tendency wants to come out and just, like, shred his very soul to the core, like, that, like that, that's something I have to work on as a teacher. Because, I mean, that, like, again, like, it's, if I want a program to grow, if I want kids to enjoy what they're doing, it starts with me making sure they enjoy what they're doing. And I have to just find some way to, like, connect that with him. I got to yeah. stop reading the text chats. It's a classic <laughs> mistake, dude. Classic mistake. I so I told... Wait. I totally I'm away from the screen every time I talk. <laughs> so I totally agree with you. Uh, I, th- I think we we all kind of agree. Um, the second one is one that I talked about. Funny enough, today in um, a class I teach, most of the people number two, most of the people working here are doing their best, trying to keep up with an overload of tasks and correspondence. Please be persistent if you have uh, questions. Uh, yada yada yada. It says stuff like you know, say thank you and an uh, goes a long way and whatnot, but that's aside the point. Man, I will tell you what, as someone that's, I'm at a school that uses Canvas, and more often than not, people, uh, undergrads will say like, you know, ah, because I do, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good about uploading stuff to Canvas on time and, uh, making sure all the stuff's there, but for the most part, uh, add Chris back in. Chris got kicked out. Uh, man, I'll tell you what. Adding to Canvas and Blackboard, uploading those materials, it's like... It takes a long time. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not... Like, I don't think people understand it's not just... You don't just, like, upload it and it's good to go. You don't just toss up, okay, test number one. Okay, it's up there. No, it's like, first of all, it's making the test, which as one of our teachers, John Gibson, uh, here at JMU has told us, he's like, yeah, I'll spend, you know, eight to 12 hours making a test and going through revisions to make sure it's a good test and it's worded properly and it works. And then besides the point of that, the best professors at that school, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, (laughs) he's the, he's probably the best professor I've ever had, but yeah, um, yeah, people that get all bent out of shape of like, well, Canvas didn't say this or Canvas didn't say that. And it's just like, dude, like somebody today like turned in, it was like, oh, I didn't know the assignment was due in class. Just like, well, I said it in the announcement. Yeah, but the Canvas thing said, you know, it was due at 11.59. I'm just like, man, I just uploaded the project to Canvas. I said no submission. And for whatever reason, Canvas said, nope, we're going to put a time limit on it. And it's like, you, yeah. like can't, it's not a perfect software. And I think the idea of like... Um, the overload uh, of tasks. The overload of tasks. And, like, especially, yeah. uh, like, as far as tasks go, it varies from professor to professor, professor to professor. I feel like in the music community, the teachers are way more overworked than other fields. I can't say that with certainty, but I've seen some documentaries and such that allude to we're definitely working harder uh but the correspondence man i've seen casey's email and it's insane 
there's so many yeah. there's so many emails and you think like oh it's just an email i'll just you know i'll pull it up and you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. You send it back no big deal that's just like wow no like it's not that simple like some of these a lot of these emails are as deep as saying like you know it's like heavy stuff like committee things and you know so you get prospective students yeah prospective like, stu- like important stuff like people's livelihoods and you get 15, yeah. you know you get 15 of those a day and people sit aside an hour just to just to answer emails but yeah i would definitely say that and I tell my I, I think students, that's one of the best things on his entire list is the second one. Uh, yes, I, absolutely. I, don't, I virtually, I virtually have no issues. I, I, I would almost go as far as to say that his number two on his list sums up why I am not pursuing a university job. <laughs> I would almost go that far. Like it, that's it, like by itself. But uh, we can, we can get into more of his uh, the sentiment that he talks about those ideas later on in the list as well. So we can get to those. Yeah. Number number three is. I mean, we can just gloss over it. It's but just it's basic. basic. Yeah, yeah, it's just check email. Your, check your email. I mean, I know that, like, the new... I don't want to say the new generation, but the younger generation is not so email uh, attached, but basically... Um, good one, Chris. But basically, yeah, you know, set up your email. For me, people are talking about, yeah, you know, my whatever email, I just go to the computer and check it, you know, once a day. It's like, what? No, just... Just forward it to your phone and turn off notifications. Check it on your phone. It's so easy. Yeah. Uh, number four. That's, that's just a life skill for number three. But yeah, number four, yeah. actually, yeah, this is going to be one of the most important ones for me. For sure. I totally agree. Um, number four, I'll read it in its entirety. It says, yes, you're the consumer, but you're also a student. Don't be afraid to share your opinions about how the class or studio or ensemble or school should work but maintain humility because aren't you here to learn and experience new things? Yeah. Uh, do you, do you want to go first or do you want me to go ahead? And you go first. I one? feel like yours is going to be good. I, I have a problem with this one, actually. I think this is maybe the one that I have the most problems with of the entire list that he's put up. And I, I, I mean that respectfully, of course, because I think that, uh, uh, Travis seems like a really nice guy from everything that I've heard about him uh, in our area in particular. But this one, I think it's not like he means, you know, negative feelings about it by writing that. But as a student, it's just not realistic to carry that attitude at all whatsoever at virtually any school that you can go to at the university level, saying that, like, if, if you treat yourself as the consumer at any university in the U.S. right now, uh, you're already uh, a few steps behind, I'd say. You're, you're, you're already doing something that people probably don't think you should be doing by carrying the attitude. Uh, case in point, I can't tell you how many, this will tie into some of his other points too, I can't tell you how many times I've watched a professor take the student evaluations from the class that they're supposed to be improving upon and either just decide that they're not going to hand them out or take them straight from their mailbox where they get them and throw them straight into the recycling bin or the trash can. Like they just don't accept any kind of feedback. And if they do uh, take the opportunity to get any kind of feedback, immediately uh, they tend to not take it the right way because there's a dynamic that's been set up across all these schools that there's a huge separation between professor and student. And the more successful examples of music schools that work 
the barrier between those two is minimized just a bit. Obviously, you need to have some kind of healthy teacher-student relationship that keeps the dynamic healthy and productive in terms of they're your mentor and you're there to learn from them. But to widen the gap so much that your student can't criticize anything about what you do and you can't accept any f feedback is a common problem. It's an understated problem, clearly, based on what we're seeing here. And it's another one of those things that really uh, contributes to some really bad mental health barriers in music schools. The, the, the best thing I can think of, I don't want to like harp on something for this long and not have a solution. Um, the best thing I could think of that would be a way to remedy this is uh, there needs to be a lot more situations in music schools where students play with their teachers so that they're like, in, in a performance activity, basically leading by example. Yeah, collegial. More or less. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that usually immediately remedies that problem, but it is pretty darn rare that you will see that happen. I was lucky to have that in my undergrad. And my undergrad, you know, had its own issues uh, in terms of the way the school was laid out. But that was certainly one of the best things about it. And I actually, I think for uh, Casey Cangelosi's part, that's one of the best things that he does as a professor is he plays with them and he has his grad students uh, play with all of his students as well. And that general attitude of everybody feeling like they're colleagues in a certain sense inspires them to get better more than some kind of feedback ever will. Right. That's super important. So the, the reason the reason that I have a problem with him saying it this way is because it, it, there is rarely a healthy dynamic in the entire country where teachers appropriately take feedback from their students on what they're doing. It's hard to give it, but also not many of them ask for it. And that's probably one of the things that we've had beaten into us the most is to learn to take criticism. So, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. The next one is kind of, it kind of ties in. Number five, it says, be mindful of those around you who may not feel as empowered to speak up and participate. Talk, listen to them, include them, amplify their voices. Uh, which is, I mean, it's totally fine. I mean, that's the same thing of, like, if, you're, if your buddy is like, man, I feel like like we really need more, you know, X, Y, Z happening. and But they're like, I just don't feel comfortable saying it. And you're like, well, I feel comfortable saying it. You know, well, you know, just if you agree, then, you know, speak, speak the majority mind, I guess. And this could also just apply to like seminar style classrooms where somebody may not feel as inclined to speak up. And I, I know I've taken the opportunity a few times to tell a classmate that I really like what they're thinking about something in a private conversation and encourage them to speak up about it the next time we all get together as a group. And that usually turns out to be a really positive thing. So I think that one's really good. I really yeah. like that one. Uh, number six, it will always take too long for you to get paid. We all hate it. We're trying to make it work better. Big bureaucracy is a sad reality. Um, I mean, kind of, I guess. I mean, it depends I, who I, you're I, working for. It does. That, that, that one's... That, that, some of these on here are a little is, bit UCLA-specific. Um, yeah. That certainly was the case at JMU. Like, we had... Uh, my wife and I had a lot of issues when we first moved because of how long it took to get the first paycheck. We were dipping into savings way more than we needed to. Um, but that's that's a minor point compared to everything else we're talking about. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really strange. That one seems out of place. Seven. I, and, oh, I, go I, ahead. I was going to say something to that because, like, 
that, that that's something I've kind of talked with people around here about actually is like at the university when I'm doing the assistantship at CSU like that was I was always paid I, I knew it was gonna be the same date every single month it was pretty nice and everything but uh thinking back towards and maybe this is a different take than what he's trying to make but like thinking towards like I, I've known several people that work in the like tech jobs here working up with like certain Colorado schools to like come out and sell their souls to you know well, that's a, that's a horrible way to say it but you know sell their souls to like tech drumline front ensemble teach master classes do lessons uh everything and we, we've we've kind of touched on this before in earlier episodes about like you know making sure you understand how much your time is worth uh, and you know, like there's there's some schools out here that you know they they don't have a lot of money to give, uh, and so you kind of right. have to work within that means. And there's other schools out here where I, I have seen where, you know, percussionists are coming out and they're doing they're doing front ensemble and battery, they are working with concert percussion, and they are doing <clears throat> private lessons. They're doing all this extra stuff for these people, like maintaining gear and stuff, and they're getting like, four hundred a month for it maybe, and then they'll bring out a tuba specialist to come out and work with their Colorado Allstate money or Allstate music and that person's going to get like 800 for the month and like so you know they're, they're, we've had those talks with students before about like you know like speak up and you know you know tell them what you feel your time is worth and then once they offer you that price if it doesn't match you tell them how much you're going to work for that then like kind of stuff like that but the point I was trying to get to here is that I, I've known people that have been like yeah, I haven't been paid for marching season yet. It's like, okay, well, it's April. <laughs> it's like, you haven't mm -hmm. been paid at all. It's like, not monthly, not for the season. They're like, oh, no, they'll get it to me when they can. I was like, uh, no, because their financial season's almost over. It's like, get in there and get the money that you're owed. And so uh, the things I would say to that was always tell them, it's like, you know, when you, when you take these gigs and stuff, you know, sign contracts. There's not a contract, write one up. <laughs> you know, and to get like both of you sit down and talk like you know like it's just about work. learning accountability yeah and it's and, yeah. and it's not really throwing some of these programs under the bus like you know some of them like i get that they're doing everything they can to stay afloat right now or they've just got a thousand things going on and so that payment that you should have sent back in you know august that you've somehow forgotten until march you know i could see if you're not being reminded of it how you could forget but um it's it's that thing like you know if, if we're going to make livings doing this and, you know, a lot of people are having to make more livings as freelance percussionists is like that, that needs to be part of the conversation of the job. You know, don't be timid to talk about like, not only how much are you getting paid, but when, because, you know, it's, it's not going to do anybody any good if you're, if you're working and waiting till April or May to get paid for work that you did like seven months ago. I mean, like you, you have to, you have to make ends meet, you have to pay bills, you have to eat. And if that's your job, like they should pay you on time for it. And this doesn't mean, by the way, like, unfortunately, to tag on Chris's comment here, uh, I've actually had some situations where I've been like, oh, you know, this is a close friend. Uh, I don't necessarily need to make a contract for this opportunity because I'm sure that they're going to be fine. Like, I know this person, blah, blah, blah. I've had some situations where it's people that I know really well that did not pay me on time. And I actually had some struggles that summer when that happened uh, to pay a bill or two and I had to find another way to do it because I just didn't think that far ahead about like, what if this person that has never failed me before uh, doesn't pay me on time? And, you know, now, even if it's a person that I like, if it's a paid opportunity, I'll have some kind of thing in writing that I can hold them accountable for just yeah. to increase the pressure a little bit. It's not, it's not that I, 
you know, want to separate distance from my friends or anybody that I'm working for or something like that. But I, I find any anything I've ever done where there isn't something in writing, it tends to not go as well. Yeah, and it, so. I think people are also a little, like, little concerned about, like, the aggressiveness of, like, contracts or something in writing. Like, I, I think, like, especially when you're doing with like, people you know or people you're getting to know, like, you're always afraid of, like, that personal relationship and what that could do. And I, I, in this situation, I think you have to think of, like, even if it is working with friends or people you really respect, it's not, like, a negative thing when you be like, all right, well, can right. we get this in writing? Like, it's just part of the business, and it's, it should be an active part. I mean, I even do it with my my private lessons. Uh, like, students sign up for my private studio. Like, uh, there's a contract that both the student and the parent pay, and we talk about payment plans, and I have flexible ideas. You know, I, d I don't accept more money. I don't accept a lot of money up front because of accountability of my own. If I have to, like, reschedule something, then it becomes a problem for me. And at the same time, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna teach an entire semester worth of lessons and try to call it up at the end. So we, you know, it's, it's yeah. just that accountability, just to make sure that you are taken care of for doing the work you're doing. So I just, I just interviewed a, a freelance cello player in Chattanooga for something that I'm doing, and he pretty much echo, echoed everything that you just said, and not just when it comes to who's getting paid when, but in terms of how much he's charging. He thinks there should be some kind of accountability for that. But anyway, yeah, all good thoughts. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, y'all, it's just, it's been restated, but yeah, it's a business, like, if you're you really should try to treat it like one a little bit more for the people in school. Yeah, I, think. I mean, it's, it's too bad. It's like if your business is making, I don't know, you make t-shirts and like people keep calling you and say like, hey, you got that friends and family discount? And just like, sure, I mean, maybe, but I'm also trying to pay bills. Like, I can't, like, it's, yeah, you just, I mean, you got, you got, you got to treat yourself right. Yeah. I mean, you're worth more than, than more mm -hmm. than you think. Uh, the next one kind of ties in. Understand that school money can't be spent on everything. Yes, we need practice rooms more than we need fancy tech or decorations. But often money is donated or allocated at higher levels for, for specific things. If you have questions, it's just, about it's just an explanation for why some funding is weird at universities sometimes. That's something I think most of us are aware yeah, of. Yeah, we are. We already know it. It's just like, yeah, yeah, this 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 group got more, but you know what? That money was allocated to them. Like that's it's just uh, the draw of the cards. Um, this one I'm a big fan of, and I, man, I hate it when I get evaluations like this. Complete your course evals thoughtfully and as often as you can. Was the short version, but yeah, sometimes I get good evaluations. Uh, sometimes I get negative evaluations. It happens sometimes, but the worst ones. I would rather have a bad evaluation than have one that has five stars on everything, no comments. It's just not help. It's just not helpful. Just take the. Th I mean, I know it's a pain in the butt because it's finals week, but just take the time and do the eval. Like if they. If your teacher sucked at teaching intervals or something at ear training, like just say like, "Hey, we really need more help with intervals. Like we never got to it." Caleb, I dare say you were one of the only people I have met that carries that opinion. You're because by damn God, straight. every every single time I sit in on, I, there's been a number of instances I can count on like one hand. I'm glad you could celebrate there for a little bit. That'll be the best <laughs> moment of your entire week. That's right. Uh, 
I've had, yeah, I think exactly two instances where I've sat with a professor, and I mean two people, not two, like, occasions, um, and talked about their course evals with them and, like, what people said and stuff like that. And I've had two people ever that have not immediately thrown course evals in the trash can, and most of the time those are tenured professors that do that because they don't feel like there's any consequence for doing so. Or more commonly, if they aren't tenured, they either take the criticism too literally or they just implement the criticism in the wrong way. Yeah, right. I I, I very, very rarely see course evaluations implemented properly. It's like extremely rare that it's done. I mean, you just got to be wise about it. I mean, if you have 30 students and they're mostly good, but one person says, oh, you know, a teacher doesn't, you know, doesn't communicate uh, information effectively. Well, if one person says that, then it's not it's not worth a lot. If five people say that out of thirty, then okay, that's a that's a that's a group like that's an amount see, of people. I, I, I've seen some people like let's say that that is the exact situation. Thirty people in the class, five people out of thirty say that the information isn't communicated properly. The I've seen situations where the professor may, might say something like. Well, those those five people that said that weren't exactly A students, and they'll just disregard the feedback entirely because the students that were giving that feedback didn't do very well in their class. Which is probably why they didn't do very well in the class because those five needed. I mean, if it's sure. I mean, I'll say it's it's possible. That's that's one possible answer. Which which is a reason which is a reason that they should take those into account is because yes yeah because okay five people. So one sixth of your class is is not succeeding because of something they all agree you're doing. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's so strange, and I hate when tenure professors either don't give evals or don't take that's, them. That's got to be one of the most common things that happens that that like really deteriorates the relationship between student and professor and an academic setting. Is just like here's your feedback and here's the trash can. Yeah, it's it's just unbelievably yeah. common. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I've no, I I know a very few, but a few professors that will do midterm evals. So halfway mm-hmm. through, they evaluate. I think and, we're probably thinking of some of the same people that yeah. do a pretty good job. Yeah, and, and it's not. It's there's no coincidence that the ones that do that are also the best teachers. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's just common sense. Uh, number 10 is, this is the one I think I have the most beef with. Okay. Uh, 10. Um, oh, your, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Your first priority should be your work here at school. Parentheses. We understand that everyone's story is different and financial family obligations are more acute than some. Close parentheses. Establishing a professional profile as a teacher and performer, performer in L.A. is one of the great benefits of this school. But if you commit fully and thoroughly to your work here, it will pay dividends in your professional life after you graduate. Which All okay, right. this we got we got to eliminate the let's just eliminate the L.A. part. Let's sure. just say but in other, general. Other than that, can you guess my least favorite part of number ten, Caleb? Let's see. Let me read through it one more time. Um, I bet you can't do it. It says your first priority should be your work here at school. 
parentheses, we understand that everyone's story is different and financial and family obligations are more acute would, for some. I would guess the last sentence, but if you commit fully and thoroughly to your work, it will pay dividends to your professional life after you graduate. Ding, 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 ding. Wait, oh, wait, let me get the Kratali. There's a Kratali oh, yeah, yeah. finger symbol. That's more appropriate. Okay, we got a A-flat Kratali finger symbol. <laughs> got it. <laughs> So I, everything else I've said up to this point about this list is like, that's my thoughts on it. And like, you know, everyone, of course, can take that with a grain of salt or they can not take it at all. I don't care. I can tell you, like, objectively that it, the last sentence of that is largely false. Like, I have an objective argument to tell you that saying if you commit fully and thoroughly to your work here it will pay in dividends in your professional life after you graduate there's there's not only no guarantee of that but radically dependent on what you choose to study within music you could pick some disciplines that like literally have zero percent chance of employment like actual zero percent chance of, right. of steady employment and i don't think that that's necessarily a reason for you not to do it obviously you know in composition i picked one that is one of the most demanding to get some kind of stable job doing just composition. Uh, they basically don't exist in the United States. They're largely theory and composition or just theory. Uh, and some that are just composition, but most of them are part-time or adjunct positions. Uh, so I, I, I picked one that does fall into that. Um, but the biggest thing that I disagree with about it is I feel personally, and you guys can tell me if you disagree with this, uh, that the biggest skill that we do and uh, that we are asked of in job interview settings and in opportunities is actually our social skills right now. And if we commit fully and thoroughly to your work here, then in 90% of school environments, you are missing out on the ability to interact with other people and develop your social and people skills for opportunities later in life. So the big reason, if I was going to sum it up and say why I think this one is a really unhealthy statement to make, is I, I would much rather somebody do like 70% of what they're supposed to do during their time in school, but meet and develop meaningful relationships with a lot of the people that they're there with, than to have them do everything that's asked of them and then be alone by the end. And I think that that the one what I just said, a hundred percent of what's asked of you and no contacts by the end happens way too often, like way, way too often. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll definitely agree agree to that. That laugh is for something else. Um, I see. It. I will. I will preface preface this for because I know some undergrads across the country. No. So uh, the undergrads that listen to this, if you're doing an undergrad degree, um, the last sentence, but if you commit fully and thoroughly to your work here, it will pay dividends in your professional life after you graduate. Uh, that is absolutely 100% not an excuse to not practice or get good at your instrument. That is that is definitely retracted here, from that. Let's work this entire thought in a healthy and non-destructive way. Please. You need to spend your time in school doing everything you can to get as good at po as possible at what you're trying to do without sacrificing your humanity. That's uh, 100% agree with that. There yeah. you go.
That's yeah. all you need to say. That's easy enough. Yeah. Because um, nothing, nothing is worth you not feeling like a human being. And don't let anybody tell you differently. For sure. Preach. Um, let's see. Eleven, uh, I had a little, a little beef with. Not a lot, just a little. Uh, exercise good judgment about your social media presence. A lot of us can see your posts. This isn't a gag order, but please think twice before complaining about school or your teachers in a public forum. Um, I, tr- uh, uh, I try not to. Com- I try to keep my social media presence pretty in the middle. I try not to take a hard stance or argument against things. Just, I mean, and honestly, it's just so I. I don't want people to get upset with me over stuff. Not so much that's, upset with me. That's the thing. I just, I mean, it's a small world, and it's the music we world. We live in an age smaller. where literally anything can cause conflict, so my advice would be to just actually treat it as a gag order and not say anything negative about your school on a public media platform. For sure. I mean, yeah. you may as well not, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I, I was going to say it, just like, I, I think... <clears throat> We we I remember when we were in undergrad and we had that like that real first talk about like professionalism on social media and then we had like the huge divide in the studio uh, where some people were like it doesn't matter I'll do whatever I want and then other people was like it does matter you can't do whatever you want and uh, um, <laughs> uh, I I I've seen two sides of this like being a teacher in Dallas we had to have talks before with. Uh, certain certain people about what they had put online before um there i i gotta I, I got stop looking at the screen i can't talk and you have you typing man uh so like uh like there like for instance there's that one day on twitter that i jokingly tweeted at uh at the donald trump at one point and then went to work and then uh came back and found out that i had like several thousand likes and retweets and i was like nah that's not good I, I was just trying to be funny to a couple of friends, and I had to delete that, but it did come up, <laughs> and so I learned that lesson. But uh, yeah. I like I think I've hit a point to me personally where like I uh, <laughs> I don't enjoy my part my uh, my social media even being remotely personal anymore. Um, I uh, Caleb, I hate you so much. So uh, <laughs> here we go. I, 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 there's like, there's a little bit of personality I'll put into my social media. I think Instagram's what I do more than anything. Like, unfortunately my Facebook, I think has forever been cursed to be the Snoop Dogg Mozart guy now. Yep. Um, I sure are. I can tell like, you that. Like there, there's, I still get notifications about that. And I, Caleb and I've joked about this plenty of times where I have, uh, both of us have tried to post something real serious or thought provoking or something intellectual. And it'll be like three likes. You know, and like half of them are my mom. But if you uh, talk <laughs> each other, it's like yeah. forty plus. Yeah, for you any know, I, reason. Yeah. I make a I make a joke at my professor's expense about not playing with recordings enough, and I wake up with like you know like it's like a couple of thousand notifications. Yes. It's like ugh. one so. of the things I've been thinking about lately is how like the depersonalization of social media with musicians specifically might actually be like a really bad thing. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally not sure about this yet, but if, if we're talking about an age where freelancing is like on the rise for our specific division of people, taking this idea of uh, we can't really be ourselves on public platforms 
is totally discouraging the entire idea of trying to sell your personal brand as a product. Like if there's no personal in your personal brand, then you're going to have a really tough time building a career by yourself with that removed. I, I think that's a really big problem actually to do something like that. Um, so I, I would lean on the side of people can say whatever they want uh, on there, but you probably should try to keep healthy relationships with the people that you actually see every day. Maybe you could just say it that way. I was just scrolling through and saw this thing that says that, uh, that amazing moment when a seal swims up and slaps a, sw like a, 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 a swimmer with an octopus. And then I was just <laughs> like, there's no way that's a real video. And I found it. And it is a real video. So Cecilia yeah. comes swimming up and hits a guy in a boat in the face with an octopus, just slaps him. And I'm just saying, like, see on the internet. And I'm just like, this is such a beautiful world we live in. And so that's exactly how I tag it in. And it's like, so my my dumb humor, I, I definitely think I'd keep out there. But uh, yeah, like things like you know, like aside from a couple of posts about my wife and then like oh, too many photos of my dogs, like I like things like political opinions, I try to keep to myself. Uh, religious opinions, whatever they might be, keep to myself. Uh, the only thing I'll get crazy on is like talking about hot wings and stuff. But uh, that's 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 as that's pretty tame. Yeah, yeah. pretty tame. I uh, I'm sure everyone now has seen it because it got shared like 1,000 billion times. But Ivan Trevino had a nice post about music, social media, mental bandwidth. He called it. Uh, just to read you, basically, the, it really is. It's such a good. I'm, glad somebody of exposure and prominence finally said it but basically to read the first three statements to you it says writing music requires a lot of brain space i spent hours cre uh, carefully crafting single musical phrases only to throw them out start over spend hours creating new ones to throw those out and go back to where i started the same can be said for performing and teaching music is equal parts creative and tedious work and they can be mentally exhausting there's also the self-doubt musicians go through, the ups and downs. It's more than exhausting. It can be absolutely draining. In 2018, this is all compounded by the expectation to literally bear our lives for the world to see on social media. To spend hours writing, practicing, teaching a piece of music is no longer enough. Creating audio and video representations of our work is not enough either. 2018 wants more from us, and honestly, I can't keep up. Which I totally, man, I will totally agree with. Because the amounts, I feel like I'm, if on a scale of 1 to 10 of people present on social media, like I feel like I'm trying to be a 7, but at best I'm doing like a 4. Like I maybe post one thing every other day that's something I'm doing, and it's just like, man, you know what? I would much rather do music then share it on social media i know it's important and it's it definitely is but i just yeah i just can't it takes so much time like i don't have time to post a live feed video every single day on instagram and then tell people what i'm doing on facebook and then tweet it out it's just like oh it's just too much like i have i have work to do <laughs> yeah yeah I, it is hard too. I mean, I I definitely like I said. I I out of the three platforms, I only do one really, like Facebook kinda, Twitter rarely. Even though I keep getting free pancakes, I need to go back to Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you were there for that one. I was there. Uh, uh, and then like with Instagram, I've done a lot. And like 
I like I remember trying to boost myself through it and like challenging myself to do more with the social media. And like I did like the hundred days of practice thing, and I was like, I'm going to be serious and do this every single day. And like you know, like twenty days in, I was not going to post for like five days and what And like because you get into that that mindset of when I'm practicing, I'm posting. Not all my practices are going to be good. Most of my practices aren't good, <laughs> especially when I'm stressed and I was going through grad school. Yeah. Think about like the fall semester where I'm practicing like all these excerpts, practicing solo literature, preparing like a new concerto, writing for the marching band, teaching the marching band, like doing all this stuff. Like there'd be times where I walk in, I'm like, I'm going to practice. I'm going to, this is going to be a two hour block. I'm going to get a lot done. 30 minutes in, it's like, I need to stop because this isn't going anywhere. Like I'm too frustrated. I'm too tired, whatever. And so like, then you get into that weird mindset of like, well, I don't want to put the bad practice stuff online. I think there was that one where I finally posted one of me playing and then just being angry and like <laughs> dropping my mallets and just kind of staring at a wall for a second and then making some kind of funny comment about being angry. But like, uh, I think that's the hard part for me is like when you want to post all the time, like trying to keep something up, like you get into that unhealthy mindset to where it's just like, well, everybody else is posting like these amazing videos of them playing all that. Like, and it's, you fall into that trap of like, where we see people's social media lives. Nobody really posts the bad part of your life on social media. And the ones that do, maybe that's a huge red flag that we should be reaching out to. But I think generally most of the time we see those people like, why would you put that online? Calm down. Like, you know, it's like we... We don't we give have, too like, much thought to it, actually. Yeah. 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 And, actually, and actually, we're in an age now where algorithms are actually kind of discouraging too many posts. Yeah. Like, if you, yeah. if you flood Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with too much stuff it's going to start flagging your stuff as like, okay, this person's putting out Spam. a huge amount of content on social media. We should probably show less of it and everybody else's feeds to balance out what they see a little bit more, unless they're going through and liking every single thing that you post. Some of your stuff is going to get lost in the void. And yeah. it's, that, so now we have to work around that too. That's just yeah. one more thing on top of everything that Ivan's talking about yeah. in that to, article. To tag in uh, Travis Cross's number 12, and it ties right into what we were just saying. Uh, and I brought this up on, I was on an episode at Percussion. Uh, my episode is like 148, I think. Uh, I talk Don't about this quite a here. bit. Uh, you, you shut up. Um, Travis Cross said, If Casey's listening to this, F. So number 12 says, Failure is permissible because failure isn't permanent. In fact, it's often the prerequisite to growth. Also, it turns out at UCLA, music major might not be for everyone. If you figure out over the years it's, uh, that's not for you, it's not a failure. It's clarification that of what you can and should do with the rest of your life. If you're counseled or graded in that direction, it's not a negative reflection. Uh, view as an important being. And I think that's super important because I will say right now, anyone that all those really cool practice, you see a video of, you know, up and coming percussionist XYZ playing some crazy piece and it's like a high quality video. Okay, that's that's one success. Most of what's happening in their life is is failures on a daily basis. Yes. Most of what happens in my life on a daily basis is failure and, is failure and uh, consolidating and recouping afterwards. It's like I lose n nine times out of ten. Yes. Yeah. It's just about making the times you do win 
and you do do something cool, you, you got to make them worth it. But yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, that's the bad thing about social media is everyone thinks everyone's doing so well. Well, everyone's doing so well with that 10 seconds a day of video you see of them. But what about the other, you know, 23 hours and 50 minutes or sorry, 59 minutes or something like that? Yeah, like people. Close. Yeah, math. Uh, yeah, but people mostly, yeah, mostly have struggles. It's like the old adage of like, if you sound good in the practice room, you're not practicing right. It's like you should, you should sound bad more than you should sound good because you should be working on what's bad and and just fixing it. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, it's there's a friend of mine that who was uh, finishing her clarinet masters up here at CSU, and she recently made a good post about. Uh, <clears throat> opening up about our own mental health and uh, kind of the stress and depression that kind of naturally falls along for a lot of us this uh, career because you think about uh, how much we constantly strive for, uh, for perfection and how much we're kind of graded on a scale of perfection, not only academically or performance-wise, but like really by ourselves. Uh, and like it, it falls into that thing of like we look at other people and we see how great they're doing and how like, you know, this person's like, you know, like she, she talked about like looking at other strong performers that she's comparing herself to and like she's like i'll never get there like this person's doing so much better than me and like you have to take the step back to go like well they've got two decades on me i would hope they're doing that much better and but like uh but then there's like the whole stigma of like it's not okay to open up and kind of talk about that sometimes too yes and so we we all fall i think we all find ourselves at some point feeling cornered to where we think to ourselves is like how i'm feeling is unique to just me and no one else is going to feel this way and Maybe I'm wrong for feeling this way. And uh, the one thing I've, I can't remember who told it to me, but it, it stuck with me a lot. Like the one thing I've, I've always enjoyed that I've heard was like, uh, if you don't doubt yourself or doubt what you're doing at some point along this career multiple times, then maybe it's not actually the career for you. Um, he yes. said something he's like, I don't trust the people that say I've never doubted the day in my life, even for a second that I didn't want to do this. Because he's like, if you're not skeptical, it's like, what what's the purpose? But I, yes. I think, like, there was a point that was made in there that says, you know, music's not for everyone. And, uh, like, or the music degree's not for everyone. Music's clearly for everyone. But, like, um, I've seen people, and, like, Caleb and I have known a lot of people that have gotten out of music. Like, uh, and I'm sure everybody knows a lot of people that have gotten out of music. But we, I know a ton. Like, you see it at an alarming rate. And I think that's another thing is we get into this degree, and I, I, I've... I've seen the, the that moment that everybody has at some point where you're really questioning it that, like, first year or first two years of, like, the degree going, like, is this what I should be doing? I don't know if I'm enjoying this, and, like, I don't know if this is for me. And then, like, the general, like, response that person gets from everybody around them is, like, oh, you just got to make it through this first year. It'll be so much better. Or, oh, you'll learn to love, the, like, the, like, you'll learn to love this and everything. It's, like, well, like, they're having, like, a serious moment about whether or not they want to base their whole life around this and, you know, rack up college debt and all this other stuff. And everybody's response seems to be like, no, you'll be fine. You just gotta, you just gotta push through this first like hump and everything. And it's like, I don't think we ever allow people to like, when we try to counsel them, allow them to feel both sides of that situation. Yeah. Cause I remember specifically, there was a guy here that uh, love him to death. He was, he was a great player came in. He was a really strong freshman I uh, loved him having him on the drum line. He was great hands and everything, but like he really struggled at the end of the first semester 
uh, like he was just like, I'm not enjoying this. He's like, I don't actually enjoy playing mallets, all the other auxiliary stuff. I'm not finding. He's like, I'm coming to realize I always like percussion because I really like drumline, uh, and that's all I want to do, and that's not really a lifestyle to live. Um, and he had been told by so many people that he's like, oh, you'll learn to love it. And he's like, I don't feel like I'm learning to love it. And people keep telling him that. And so I finally told him, I was just like, well, I mean, you don't have to make a decision right this second. But, you know, at yeah. some point, you need to be honest with yourself and not listen to what other people say. Like, what do you really feel? And, you know, after like a couple of weeks, he comes back and he's like, I, I really feel like I'm in the wrong thing. And I feel really bad about it. And I was like, why? He's like, I feel like I'm going to let people down. I was like, the only person you need to worry about letting down is yourself at this moment. Because if you force yourself to stay in a degree you don't want for other people, that's just only going to be a lifetime of disappointment. And so, you know, I, he, I know he struggled with it, but he finally, like, for the professor, they were all super polite. They were calm. They were nice. They were friendly. Like, you know, they were supportive. Like, we, like I think a lot of younger people don't want to think they would be. Um, got his degree changed. Stayed in the drum line. He's been doing DCI, like killing it with like a couple of like really good groups now, does all the indoor stuff. So he drums all the time. And the point is music's for everybody. He still stays active with the part of music he wants, but now he's pursuing a degree in a profession that he wants. And that's not to say, obviously, like, you know, if you have like a single moment that if you stress out and feel like maybe this isn't for you, that you should just go ahead and jump ship. But like when it's that strong of a feeling and that long lasting of a struggle, and it's like maybe there's something you're not acknowledging just yet that you need to like really search out for. And I think as friends, I, I think it's subconsciously maybe we feel a little scared when we see other people feel that way because we felt that way at some point or we know plenty of people felt that way. And for somebody to leave the degree maybe invalidates what we feel towards the degree. But like uh, at that moment, maybe like stepping up to be more of like just an open-minded friend and say like you know what do you really feel rather than hitting them with like we learned to love it they learned to love it you'll learn to love it so that's a, that's a long tangent to go there but like you know I, I i thought that was a big point that we should address is like it isn't for everybody and you shouldn't force yourself to want it if you don't naturally want it i, I think that's it, it's a complicated thing for me. I, I, I guess what I'll ask first is, do, do any of you guys, I feel like often when we see people leave while we're in school, like leave the music profession, we are able to kind of immediately piece together like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Or, uh, you know, I wish them the best. And sometimes we might even feel like that's better for them. You know, it's better. it's better that they be there. But uh, there's a few situations that I can think of, and these are the ones that really kind of stay on my brain and bother me, where I feel like they shouldn't have done it. And the reason that I feel like they shouldn't have done it is because I feel, in all of the situations I've been in, even like my favorite schooling that I've had, some of the people that swapped out and decided they weren't going to do music anymore were not swapping out for the right reasons and it got me thinking about how school might not be the best place to actually make that decision. Um, like I, I mentioned earlier that I was interviewing this freelance cellist. I went to undergrad with this cellist, and he was a mechanical engineering major. And he was getting that degree because he wanted something that would pay the bills while he tried to start some kind of musical career. And he was at that job for maybe not even a year before he was able to just like teach lessons and play gigs and sell some of the music that he was working on and make a full-time living and not necessarily the cheapest city to live in in Tennessee. 
it's one of the bigger ones. Uh, and so I'm thinking about him and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe he should have been a music major and some of the people that quit shouldn't, shouldn't have quit because all of these people are really motivated and they have this sort of entrepreneurial mindset already before they've even gone to college about it, but they end up quitting because of the mental health stigma that's attached to, uh, the process of becoming a certified music graduate, uh, and all of the stuff that we go through that we've been talking about this entire time. So I have to wonder uh, how many people we've like turned off basically in our profession. Uh, and th- that's the biggest thing. Number 12 on this list got me thinking about was it's, it's very true. Everything he says there is true. I wish that the focus had been a little bit more on failure being permissible um, Rather than talking about how, you know, this isn't for everyone, we, we tend to talk a little bit too much, in my opinion, about how it's not for everyone. And uh, on somebody's first failure, I see too often uh, the professor trying to gently put the change of major form in their hands at the end of the lesson. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's it's a tough one for me. I, I, I tend to lean a little bit more to the side of the argument that... Uh, in today's world, it's not mattering quite as much. Mattering quite as much uh, what you get the undergraduate degree in. So right. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not so totally sure about it yet. But I'm uh, e- even with my current situation of being between things right now. I'm finding myself lying a little bit more in the camp of they should probably do something that's not going to make them miserable, and then spend all of their free time doing what they love, and you'll learn. You might learn more that way in some situations. Like I can tell you for a fact that guy that uh, got a mechanic, mechanical engineering degree and just took lessons and played an orchestra for his music study, he's better than half the professional musicians that I know. He's one of the most skilled players I've ever seen. Uh, and it's because he had the ability to just focus on the things that he found valuable. And he's a specialized player in his own way, but you know, he would be one of the first people I'd call for that job if I wanted something recorded for that instrument. It's it's so complicated. Like there's so many situations that could come up along those lines, but yeah. I, I, I think I'd try to think of like, I guess I don't, I don't particularly know if I know anyone that I feel like they shouldn't have quit. Um, and that's not like saying that that possibly couldn't be true. I, I think for me, it's just cause I, I, I try to, I, I, I don't fully know everybody's story when they do decide to stay in or when they do decide to quit. Um, and I, I use this one guy as an example uh, because, like, for me, his example was, like, it wasn't a matter of, like, he was failing. Like, he he worked hard and he was doing well. It's just the enjoyment was never there. Right. And, like, and he never gained the enjoyment. As he went along, I think he got a little he, – he lost it as he kept going. And that's that's been the bulk majority of the people I've known to get out is that the process – like stops being enjoyable and it like, and it's not that it's always going to be enjoyable, but like mm. the, it, it, the process takes away their full enjoyment of music itself. And so the ones that I know have left have gone on to find other things where again, it's, they, they, they have something they feel a little bit more successful or fulfilled with. Uh, they maybe feel more sustainable with, or they feel like they're doing something more. What's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, just just more beneficial for their personal time as a working person and then like their free time like you said like they're still playing like they're they're enjoying it then like yeah. it's 
the 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 art doesn't become the job that they need to live. It's just art that they want, and that gets into like a whole controversial area. I think it was like wasn't that a oh who was it? Was it Charles Ives that talked about that? Um, well, yeah, he was a real estate salesman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. talked talked about like you know he made that whole like controversial argument that you couldn't truly create art if it was what you needed to live. Yeah, well, it's like <laughs> so. um, Jacob uh, guy Chris and I know uh, I don't know him well, but Jacob Remington, who anyone listening probably knows, wrote Prelude to Paradise, Takata. He's doing very well. He's doing very well in composition. You know, he's uh, he went to TCU. He got his um, I guess there's some sort of artist diploma or something with Anders uh, in I guess Sweden, Anders Ostrand in mm. Sweden. Uh, but he may, he is a real estate agent now. He makes very good money. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, very good money, and he still writes music and he still plays. But yeah. instead of teaching, you know, lessons for 20 bucks an hour or something like that, he's, uh, you know, he's flipping houses for several grand commish. Yes. That's, cool. that's crazy. Yeah, it really is. I, feel, I think I'm not 100% sure, but I think he sold an NFL player's house recently. I saw some pic- I saw some pictures on Facebook and it was pretty impressive. I could be wrong, but that sounds like it would pay a bill or two. It'll pay a, it'll pay your it'll pay for it'll, your it'll pay electric, right? It'll get you that yeah. big that big Mac you're searching for. Well, all this ties into his Travis Cross's last thing, which is remember why you're here that what you felt uh, making music that led you to pursue a career in it. You won't feel that every day or even most days, but chase after it, cherish it when you achieve it and enjoy it. Which is which is fair, man. I, it's like uh, Christopher Dean at UNT has this great quote about uh, music isn't hard, bricks are hard, music is time consuming, and it's yeah, it's pretty much that. Like, like when I talk to my family members, and it's just like, oh yeah, you know, you're doing music, and you know, I feel like a lot of the times they think it's this artsy thing, and we're it's like this yeah. it's like constantly creative and it's just like no uh 90% of the time it's rain dance yeah 90% of the time it's uh it's yellow after the rain uh r.i.p but no like i mean it's creative all the time of course but it's uh it's like especially if you're a composer uh, for sure uh but yeah man i feel like even a com- even a composer it's like yeah there's like the portion that's the creativity and then the rest, it's creative, but it's it's work. It's not like you're not just like in a practice room. You, like a pianist doesn't just go into a practice room, sit down with this new Chopin, and sit down and say, "Okay, here we go," blah, 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 blah. and they just like shred it and get all fa- and like it doesn't happen like that. Like they sh- they have to shed the piece. Don't you wish it does? Yeah, oh don't gosh. you wish it does? I mean, it's I mean when you think about it, it's like you put. You put in, you know, you put in 40 or 50 hours to just learn the notes sometimes on some yes. of these harder pieces. And that's, yes. yeah. And then after that comes the process of making creative music and art and stuff. But yeah, the bulk of it is often just like 
getting the notes and like getting the the dirty part done you know the artistry sometimes comes and it can come at the same time but a lot of the times the artistry is like yeah that's it comes second like a lot of it's just you know it's labor it's very labor intensive i don't think people get that a lot of the time it's like undergraduates often say like you know like uh i just i'm not practicing because i don't feel like i just don't know what to do like i feel like i'm not making progress in the practice room it's just like well okay film yourself doing your buzz roll okay film it next week film it two days later and it's just like no you're making progress like the progress is not this isn't titanfall you don't just you don't play 10 minutes and you get the reward uh you yeah yeah it's a very slow growth i saw this great meme by the way of call of duty and it had a picture of a soldier that's just like, I need air support. And then it had a picture of a guy in a helicopter and just like, you got to get three more kills before you can call me. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was pre- it was pretty funny. Anyways, yeah, I mean, but... Yeah, but it's not that, yeah. Yeah, to boil, it, to boil it down, like, yeah, like the music making is the goal. But, you know, the bulk of the, the, bulk of the job is, is labor. Like, it's, yes. it's work. Even yeah. from composition, like it's, you know, you think sometimes, about like sometimes more so in that sense. I think I I wrote Caleb, I think that piece I wrote you is like three three and a half minutes, right? Yeah. And I probably spent the thirty or forty hours you described at least on a three or three and a half minute piece. Not because it's like super difficult to write a piece of that length, but because I was just like, oh, the section sucks. Better rewrite it. And then there were you know probably two weeks worth of days just on that section. You know, just like oh, this sucks. I probably should do it a different way. And then yeah. I finally hand Caleb the product, and I'm like, this whole piece probably sucks. You know, <laughs> I mean, it it it. it, it it's, it never ends. This is like the constant feeling that anybody that has this kind of thing does. Um, the last thought that I'd like to give to his closing remark here about remember why you're here and, uh, you know, what you felt making music that led to pursue, led you to pursue it as a career. I think maybe the biggest thing that every mentor or teacher that I've had criticisms of in my time in school could do better is to offer some kind of enthusiastic reason for these guys to stick with it. Because then after all of this like passion and encouragement, if they still don't feel like it's for them, then they'll have like a really good reason to drop out at that point. But like, I, I can't remember how surprised I was, um, when I had this one, uh, I don't, I won't name the teacher. There was, there was one teacher that I had. Um, and when I had this teacher, it was the first time I had like ever just sat down and listened to music and lessons. Like just sat there and listened to music with the teacher. And it, it, I don't even think it was like composition. I think it was, it might've been a percussion lesson now that I'm thinking about it, that where this first happened. And I was like, I just went through like one, maybe two degrees where I literally never did this. And this is like the majority of what we're supposed to be doing to keep ourselves motivated. Like, I can't tell you how many jazz guys you hear that say like, just listen, man, just listen, man, just listen. It'll be hit. Don't worry about it. Um, and it, there's like a profound level of truth to that, where it's like, that's how those guys stay motivated as they hear some cool lick ripped by this awesome musician. And they like sit down with the recording, slow it down and transcribe it. And then they just practice it in like every key. And it's, 
Uh, that's how they get their fun out of it. All of us do it in different ways, but that is easily the biggest thing missing from the actual process of learning to be a musician is like, how do we keep this fun? And how do we uh, stay excited when we're going through this grind every day of doing similar activities every single day? Like, how do we break that up? All of these things are like easy to work into how we talk to our students and we just, we just don't do it. Yeah. W- Teachers that do are really inspiring. Casey does a great job of it, by the way. Yeah, he yeah. listens to music and lessons all the time. Yeah, he's good about giving inspiration. Uh, oh, man, I will say that the, I see it mostly in under... I mean, only in undergrads, I guess. Uh, 99% of the time is undergrads. But it's just like, oh, man, you know, I just don't... I don't really feel the, like, passion to practice or I'm not enjoying it. I'm just like, yeah... Well, before you, like, throw in the towel, do the, like, five hours of practice a day thing for a week. Like, just, like, go all out. Like, make it your life for one week. Like, you're not going to lose anything. It's a low-risk, high-reward situation. Like, go fully all out. Do nothing except for focus on your instrument for one week. You know, as many hours as you can per day. And just, like, see the improvement. And nine times out of ten, it's just like, oh my gosh, like, one week, I got better I got better in one week than I have in the past semester. Yes. And it happens, in, it happens around juries all the time. It's just like, oh man, I, I just, I practice for like three hours a day on my rep for a week, and I'm like, I feel so good. And just like, yeah. Imagine if you would have, you know, done an hour and a half a day on your rep even like through across the semester you have been like slamming like two months ago and it's just like yeah like give it the good old college try as they say before you like but decide that maybe this isn't for you like yeah you've got nothing to lose you're already enrolled in the lessons just yes yeah i i do hear you guys ever hear people say like you'll never have more time and to work on these things than you do right now in school like obviously that's like i don't know how true that really is some programs are more intense than others i I think it's yeah maybe less true yes it's becoming Uh, more false i think but i think that the thing that is true about it is you'll never learn and adapt more quickly than you do while you're in the school environment around all these people that are trying to do the same thing. I think that's maybe the advantage of it is that like everybody. Wow. Caleb, that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, adva- the advantage is just that you're around people that are like-minded in that situation and you'll probably do a better job of uh, sticking with it. If other people are suffering with you. But yeah, the I, I mean, I have more free time right now than I've had the past seven years, and I'm not progressing as fast as I did in school. So, part, partly by choice, but I'm just trying to prove a point. For sure, God, I, I would kill for some free time. I'm hustling just to make ends meet up here in Colorado. It's so expensive. I, I actually really would recommend to anybody now that I've experienced it myself. I mean, I didn't take like a year break like Simon Rattle did, but I totally encourage that idea of just like actually forcing yourself to literally do anything else except music. You come back and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done. Like, let's go. Let's like write a billion pieces. Let's practice for like six hours a day. I mean, don't actually do that. That's not healthy, by the way. 
Yeah, I think I took a probably about a solid <clears throat> solid month off this summer after graduating. I, uh, I I got super burned out on the last semester by way just doing way too much, um, and so I got off. And like I uh, the I remember like June was just like a with the exception of like little lessons and camps and stuff. Like June was just like a wide open month for me. I remember that first week of just not doing anything. Like like Emily would get up and go to work, and I would still just be like passed out in bed and she would yeah. just let me sleep and send me a message instead and that first week was amazing where I was just like I don't have anything to do I don't have to practice I don't have to like study I'm just like I'm turning my brain off and then like uh like th- that was like a, there was like a solid week I don't think I did anything music and that that was actually incredibly refreshing and now I've got to the point where I'm like I'm like super like hungry again and like I want more time to practice and and just to make ends meet, I'm like teaching like community college up here and working with a music company as well as working with some high schools, pulling like 12 to 13 hour days. And so uh, my my practice session is like usually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for uh, sure. it's it's been interesting. At least until I can get that my uh, join the tomorrow five octave practice club. Uh, once that gets in here, then I can actually use my mornings to do that as well. That'll be beautiful. I've had to become yeah. a pianist because of that problem. Yeah. So, but that's hey, that's money. Nobody that's wants to hear money. me play piano. Hey, nobody wanted to hear me play Caleb's uh, recital that one time, but for some reason they were really impressed that this terrible pianist played a concerto accompaniment from memory that repeats the same things over and over again. Yeah. So they, they were all like, "I can't believe your accompanist or accompanist memorized the concerto. That's insane." I'm just like, yeah, he's not a piano player. I think he had to. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally what happened. That was good. It turned it turned out well. It turned out really well. I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, that that was that was a good time. Oh man, yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, Lucas wrote. um, Let's see, you've written several percussion works. He wrote A Simple Machine, if some of you have seen that. On, uh, it's on my YouTube channel and his as well. But it's for a solo snare drum and I think that's actually cymbal. just on yours. I think I decided I wasn't going to re-upload that. So go watch it on Caleb's channel. Yeah, A Give Simple him, Machine. It's re- Man, it's really good. It's one of those that I've just kept. I'll, I'll just keep in my rip because it's so, it's so much fun and it's so entertaining. But yeah, there's a lot of one-handed rolls, right hand... Um, Cool things with the finger symbol on the left. Is there Cretali involved? Um, yes, man, great piece. Um, he also wrote Euphoria variations for solo four mallet marimba, for five octave marimba, uh, which is basically like a tonal Alejandro Vignal, but cooler. <laughs> so, sorry. But cooler, okay. Sorry, Vignal. All right. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't, I don't mean it. Um, but no, yeah, it's, man, yeah, it's really good. It's hard, 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 hard. Uh, you, what was, you won the Great Plains 2015? I think was it that? was, uh, 2016. I wrote this piece called Dark Reflex, uh, for Marimba that won that year. And I still see videos of it pop up every once in a while. A lot of good performances by people who learned it. And I'm glad that people like it. I think that one's pretty abstract compared to, the other things I've done, but it's it's nice and showy, so it made for a good competition piece. It was really cool to hear all the Japanese players come in and like be even more aggressive than I thought possible with it. 
at that competition. So yeah. he's uh, you've got the other one that uh, undergrad here, Sophia Cotty played uh, this break for yeah. It's a multi percussion piece based on uh, hip hop and uh, Eminem specifically. Yeah, yeah. Lucas yeah. Lucas I and Sophia recorded it last spring, but man, yeah, that one was that one was way cool. It's like a great like undergraduate multi percussion. That one's actually not out yet, but I'll I'll be putting it up in a couple of days here. Uh for sure. So keep your eyes peeled for that one if you're interested. Yeah, that that one's one of my one of my favorites, I think. And then he, yeah, you've got the new one that Lucas just finished for me for solo vibe, Nocturne at Sea. Uh yeah, I'll premiere that on the twenty eighth of October, I think. Mm-hmm. So in about a month. Yeah, about a month, month and a couple of days. But man, yeah, Some that great one's good too. So far. Yeah, man, it's going, everyone that hears your music, I always hear the same comment, and it's like, it's the same phrasing every time, it's like, his tonal language is so interesting, <laughs> it's, I agree, like, it's like, it's, it dances right on the line of, like, way contemporary and tonal, it's like in this sweet spot in the middle, where it's like, what I want to do, man, yeah, it's I, crunchy, I, but it's accessible, I think the way I look at it is uh, the, the entire spectrum of what we can do with like tonal combinations and intentionally avoiding them and stuff like that. That entire spectrum is like an emotional spectrum. So if we like dance the line, that we have that aesthetic that I do. I think I do pretty well, which is like confusing, uh, tense, uh, but it kind of spins you around in circles for a little while. And then on the same token, if going like all the way tonal almost seems like happy to the point of being goofy and the right. same spectrum uh, or in the context of more traditional music, it's just more optimistic. And then fully atonal uh, is the opposite end of the spectrum. That's basically horror movie soundtrack stuff. Uh, and if you look at it with that viewpoint, it becomes a lot more fun to think about like what specific emotion am I trying to elicit in this moment? And if you open it up a little bit more there, then it's it's a more direct feeling. If you cloud it a little bit, then it's more subtle. So that, that's that's kind of how I try to think about it. But most of in Nocturne at Sea, I, I, I'm excited for people to hear that one because that one, uh, the player pretty much has to pick how much the sounds blend together. Uh, it's kind of intended as a... There's a lot of pedagogy pieces that we have in percussion. Like, we have a lot of people play yellow after the rain and rain dance on marimba as like a starting place because that teaches them uh a way to technically accomplish four mallet pieces without pushing them too hard musically and i feel like for maybe a different level of player nocturne it scene does like the opposite it's like there's not a whole lot of four mallet capability that you need to have to play that piece super well but the musical aspect of that piece is super challenging it's like what you would want to give to your uh, really your freshman or sophomore with really good hands to push their brain a little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, Luke says other pieces. I mean, you can you can check them out online. There's a tuba concerto that uh, I kind of it was fun. I kind of watched you through the draft one through the final version. I got to see every every version. They kind of. Very, There's going to be well. another draft at some point. Oh, uh, no. They're going to get them. The bone doggies coming. Uh, official I mascot. need to make it easier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, also, Windbane piece, King of Kings. We played it here at JMU with a wind ensemble or uh, wind symphony. Man, yeah, really cool. Good woodwind quintet. Uh, tra- is it quintet? Travel Diaries? Yes, yeah. And that one, uh, oh yeah, I, I won't tell the story about that one, but actually that one's looking for a premiere recording in a, in a certain sense. It's been played before, but there's no premiere credit, really. So if, if you know a woodwind quintet that's interested, that's a nice, challenging piece that breaks the repertoire out of the shell a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that man, that one's really good. Yeah, all the all the music is is uh yeah, it's quite good. Um I, I know I'm missing a couple, but uh recitation, if I'm sure a lot of y'all have probably seen recitation on Casey Kangelosi's uh YouTube channel, it's a Marimba Corral. Um well not that's another s- one that tries to do the same thing as Nocturne at Sea. That's that's basically like a really difficult musical challenge, but the chops required to play it are like minimal, like completely minimal. That's something that anybody on this call, like any of the three of us, could put together in a night. But for a freshman or a sophomore to do it well, it would take like a couple months of study. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's def- it's definitely musically very difficult. Um, but yeah, there's other stuff. Finding Metropolis for wind ensemble, uh, Odysseus concerto for saxophones, um, really cool one. Uh, Ochlo for bass, trombone, and piano, and uh, oh yeah, and Pulverize. I remember you wrote Pulverize while you were here. Pulverize at... has been premiered in Missouri now, and nice. I'd love for people to check that one out. So yeah, it's a solo marimba piece that's very rock and roll, but it's again, it dances the line between way contemporary and tonal rock, rock and roll is very, very interesting. Yeah, so def- definitely check out uh, lucasgarner.com. Easy to remember, obviously. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's, it's just such good stuff. And it's just so different. I think that's my favorite thing is it's just different. I appreciate that. That's uh... I try to do that without boring people. <laughs> yeah. I try, I try to make something interesting without losing the attention span of people that maybe haven't given this stuff a shot as much before. Yeah. So. Dang. Well, cool, man. Yeah, we covered so much. That's insane. Yeah. That's good. A lot of stuff. Episode eight. This might be our longest one. I don't think I have to edit a dang thing. That's great. <laughs> you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to edit so much. You. God, dude, you suck. <laughs> Here's the thing. Bleep all, just bleep all that out. I'll just put a big bleep, yeah. I'll just put a big note to bleep for like 30 seconds. Uh, well. <laughs> God, my dissertation's never getting done. Well, yeah, yeah, Lucas, thanks for hanging out, and, um, yeah, for anyone that, again, that hasn't seen it, uh, check out lucasgarner.com uh, for all of his music. Uh, YouTube as well. Um, one of his pieces um, is on my YouTube channel. Uh, just search Caleb Pickering, A Simple Machine on YouTube. You'll get his solo, A Simple Machine. Um, really, really, really good piece. Really hard. Um, if you don't have the certain skill set of one-handed roll control that's in there. But um, cool, dude. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for hanging out. And we need to figure out some sort of 
maybe episode 11 or 12. We need to have an all video game episode. Maybe by then I'll be able to plug and uh, tell you what I'm working on in a bigger capacity. Cause Good. That be really... Yeah, that'd be way cool to hear. Well, thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks for hanging out. And uh, for anybody listening, we will catch you next time for episode 9. We're getting one away from the big episode 10, hitting the double digits. Cool. So thanks and catch you later. Take care, guys.